Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Swami Siva Subramanian, who is Vice President of Amazon Machine Learning. And we are going to be chatting about all of the news that came out of the reInvent conference over the past week or so, uh, as well as pre-invent as it's come to be known. But Swami, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Hey, pleasure to be here. Uh, so usually we meet during, I guess, uh, during reInvent in Vegas. Uh, but I'm glad at least we could do this virtually. Absolutely, absolutely. That has become a uh, a highlight of my visits to reInvent last year. In particular, we had this amazing dinner at uh, I forget the the restaurant in Vegas, but we had the opportunity to sit next to one another and chat a little bit about not just the work stuff, but you know, fun stuff too. And I think if there's anything I miss about the the times we're in nowadays and doing everything virtually, it's opportunities like that. But as you say, great to great to have you here virtually. Me too. Uh, really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, so let's start by having you share a little bit about your background and uh, help the, the listeners get to know how you came to work in uh, ML. Sure. Uh, so as you mentioned, I run machine learning business for AWS. I've been uh, at AWS and Amazon now for more than 15 years or so. So joined Amazon and AWS as an intern during my PhD. So, and my background uh, during my PhD was in distributed systems, uh, building large-scale technology and so forth. And my internship project was to build a large-scale database system because uh, the underlying Oracle database uh, for Amazon.com couldn't keep up with the scale we were growing. So... As an intern, I joined the team and we were discussing, saying, we can build something better. So, And uh, Amazon being Amazon, he said, if you can build better, then let's go build. And uh, so we did build what came to be known as Dynamo. So, and now Dynamo, the cloud version of Dynamo is DynamoDB, which is a major uh, building block service that is used by many of our AWS customers. And uh, since then, uh, I joined along with Bonner and Werner Vogel, CTO of Amazon, to build a bunch of our AWS services, including our uh, storage services, S3, to our relational and then non-relational and big data service, too, and so forth. At some point, one of the things I realized uh, is that machine learning was at a critical moment where suddenly all the elements that were blocking machine learning such as the access to huge amount of compute and uh, the requirement uh, in terms of having uh, reliable and secure and uh, cost-effective access to compute and data was suddenly made possible due to cloud. So, and especially the deep learning programming frameworks uh, were getting easy enough that non-experts, people with uh, who do not have a PhD in machine learning, uh, people like me, for instance, who didn't do a PhD in ML, they could be able to program using machine learning and build some amazing things. So during one of my uh, trips to India during my vacation, where I was taking my one-year-old daughter to visit her grandparents since I had a lot of time to kill. So I started playing with a bunch of early deep learning models and 
on cafe because I didn't think even TensorFlow was launched at that time. <laughs> then realized the power of potential uh, and uh, of deep learning. So we came back from vacation and then bootstrapped the machine learning team. And Amazon, we have been doing machine learning for 20 years. So, and at that time we had a bunch of efforts in like our Alexa and various other places. And that led to a lot of learnings. And uh, by talking to several of our internal teams and tapping into experience of what does it take to apply machine learning to some of the core business problems, then it led to me formulating the strategy around uh, what does it take to make machine learning accessible to millions of AWS customers who are using us on a monthly basis. So that or any other tier of machine learning investments. And that's the short story about me. So. Uh, what an incredible story. I don't think there are many interns that uh, that can tell that story. Um, <laughs> you know, not to send us back to, to reminiscing about uh, reInvent's past. Uh, I've been to most of them since the very first one, having spent a lot of time in the cloud computing space before ML and AI. But one of the things that was new and noteworthy this year is that you delivered the first ML keynote ever at a reInvent. Am I getting that right? Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, that, I mean, uh, was due to a couple of reasons. Um, uh, one is that, as Andy put it, uh, we have so much innovation happening in machine learning in this space that Last year alone, Andy spent 75 minutes in his three-hour <laughs> keynote on machine learning. This year, we figured that there is no way, uh, unless that keynote becomes a five-hour keynote, we can't actually put everything together in it. So we ended up saying, hey, let's uh, do a separate machine learning keynote. And, and it so happens between Andy and my keynote, we still couldn't cover everything uh, because there is so much innovation happening in this space. Uh, but it's also a symbol of how much uh, machine learning has transformed from being a niche investment to actually becoming core of every business strategy. So, mm-hmm. and that's uh, such an incredible uh, moment. It kind of reminds me of where, when, uh, when I got out of grad school and saw where AWS was truly changing how people build applications. I kind of see the same thing happening right now in terms of machine learning going from used by these brilliant data scientists and amazing uh, scientists to build some really interesting proof of concepts to now it's becoming mainstream where people are using it now as a regular part of how they uh, form, run their business all the way from like Domino's Pizza. I mentioned this in the keynote about them using machine learning to do predictive ordering to deliver hot, fresh pizzas in 10 minutes or less. Uh, mm-hmm. Roche using it to do tailored uh, medicines to Formula One using it to do better car design. Uh, this is literally happening in every industry segment. And this kind of innovation is, uh, I mean, from our customers is uh, having us also drive so much in terms of building the right tools for them so that they have the freedom to invent. And that's what we were excited to showcase on all the innovation and invention happening in uh, each layer of the machine learning stack mm-hmm. and uh, how our customers are uh, using these building blocks across various industry segments to also innovate as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what I thought we'd do is spend some time up front kind of reviewing the 
the new new, the the announcements coming out of, of reInvent. And I think I want to focus on kind of SageMaker, but to contextualize that, I think you and AWS generally and the industry more broadly has started to coalesce on, on thinking about machine learning tools and platforms as part of this three-layer cake, kind of like we did on the cloud side, where we've got kind of ML-enabled or enabling infrastructure at the bottom, like GPUs, for example, and then tools that are used by data scientists in the middle of the stack and in the AWS world, that's SageMaker. And then at the top of the stack, uh, these kind of ML-as-a-service or cognitive services, depending on uh, what you want to call them. And there have been announcements on all of those at reInvent. But let's maybe jump into that kind of core middle, the SageMaker piece, and we'll circle back to, to some of the other stuff yeah. as well as some, some applications. Uh, I'm wondering if you have a favorite new feature or announcement out of all of the new stuff. Uh, it's like uh, asking me to pick my favorite child, even though in the real world, I have only one child. She is five, but uh, I have a dog too who takes, who competes pretty well with her. But that's, uh, I mean, the thing about SageMaker is, uh, even as I mentioned in my own personal story, machine learning historically has been a domain of expert practitioners uh, who actually were uh, willing to get their hands dirty and go and figure out all the way from not just preparing and collecting data to also picking the right algorithm through trial and error to actually tuning the parameters to then figuring out deployment. And then they talk to ID ops to handle and deploy. And uh, as a personal builder myself who likes to build things, one thing I realized, this is not going to help us scale to millions of developers. And uh, this means only very few companies who have the the necessary resources to productionalize machine learning will actually make it, uh, will use it. So that led to us building SageMaker, which is an easy service all the way to build, train, and deploy ML models in the cloud. And since uh, the launch in 2017, it has been one of the fastest growing AWS services in our history. Uh, and already tens of thousands of customers are using it in production, virtually in every industry segment, and seeing significant acceleration uh, in terms of being able to build, train, deliver. This reinvent, uh, what I would uh, say, a few things I'd call out. The number one I uh, continue to hear since launches, even though we have made the process of building and training and deploying easier, data preparation especially was one of the uh, messiest part. And they said it is totally undifferentiated for Mm -hmm. them uh, because not only do you have to collect your data from, let's say, various storage uh, service, I guess, three or Redshift or Athena to you to write code to uh, transform your data and then visualize the uh, inspectors and then figuring out and exporting it to production. This was could be drastically simplified. That led us to build uh, SageMaker Data Wrangler. We have gotten like, great feedback from customers on how simple it is. Um, but mm-hmm. we didn't stop by just giving an IDE and a tool for data wrangling. We connected it to not just popular AWS sources, but also we are connecting to other partner sources like uh, Snowflake and Databricks, Delta Lake, and MongoDB as well. 
because uh, we do want uh, customers to be able to collect connect to the data sources and get going. Um, but the, then we also build the feature store, which makes the process of the uh, feature management, both for training and inference, a lot easier. So, And when we work with customers like Inshade, one thing they uh, mentioned is they had to essentially build like two versions of feature store, one for feeding it for the training pipelines, which means large batch access uh, focused on throughput and for real-time access for inference. So, and then they had to do a bunch of engineering to keep them consistent. And this is where mm-hmm. we built it into a uh, fully managed feature store and made it available for SageMaker. And then we launched also the full CI-CD pipeline. Uh, it's, uh, software engineers, uh, they typically have a full-blown stack all the way from debuggers, profilers, and uh, CI-CD and so forth. In ML, this is still not there. So, and we want SageMaker to make that process easy. So that led us to build pipelines. To me, uh, two of the things I'd call out is uh, along with launching debugger and profiling uh, features. Um, but the bigger one, my opinion, is uh, when we talk about data, one area that we were very interested uh, in making this process less of a black box and more uh, easy for our developers to be able to understand is around uh, detecting bias in machine learning workflow. And uh, while bias is a very strong uh, topic everyone thinks about, um, but you got to demystify that one to understand is there a bias in the underlying data when you prepare it for training to all the way from also in the inference, uh, what uh, features are going into when it is making a certain decision. So that led us to creation of SageMaker Clarify, uh, which is a capability that helps detect bias in the ML workflow as well. And then the final step is around SageMaker Edge Manager, which makes it super easy to build M models in the cloud and deploy at the edge and manage across fleet of devices. Uh, so you did not, you did not let me make you choose one of your children. <laughs> <laughs> well, you left out SageMaker Jumpstart and maybe um, one other small feature. That is true. I, I, mean, uh, I, I would hate to call anything small because it is all done by a two pizza team. So it's uh, Jumpstart is another great. Uh, <laughs> Innovation, too. <laughs> you just reminded me of because, uh, again, uh, I put myself in the four year prior to where I was. Uh, machine learning can be intimidating for people who are not grown up and uh, played with it for a long time. And you need an easy way for them to get started with. Uh, and that was the idea behind Jumpstart saying, like, if you're interested in this problem, here is a pre cooked recipe. And with just a few clicks, you can get up and running as a uh, something that is resonating with a lot of customers because uh, I want to make this super easy for them to experiment and actually also learn along the way. I mean, of course, we also had a few more like uh, faster distributor training with uh-huh. data catalysm and model parallelism. You're reminding me of all the things. That we yeah, just yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think the I can give you my list. The things that jumped out as, at me were Data Wrangler, Feature store, distributed training, 
and pipelines uh, as the most interesting of the the announcements, you know, relative to the things that I'm seeing in the market and from talking to, to users, you know, starting with Data Wrangler and Feature Store, I think, you know, they're individually interesting, but they're also interesting together as kind of representing a big step in, you know, trying to, to, well, wrangle, you know, this data part of the problem that's so challenging for a lot of people. Like SageMaker has, you know, long billed itself as end-to-end and it's had some capability on the data side of things like uh, Ground Truth and others, but hadn't yet really taken hold of the you know, the bear, so to speak, of preparing data for training and, and serving features and, and things like that. So I thought that was interesting. The other interesting thing there was with Data Wrangler. Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe my my view of AWS is, is dated, but I think of AWS as like this API first company and, you know, not really having strong UI with regard, you know, I think of the console and like just a thousand links to different services as opposed to to UIs, but Data Wrangler and Pipelines are both very kind of visual features. Data Wrangler uh, in particular looks every bit of what I'd expect to see in dedicated Data Wrangling, Data Prep offerings, uh, at least as a first a first step. And I'm curious, you know, maybe just to drill into Data Wrangler a little bit more, if you can kind of elaborate on what are the core capabilities of that feature and kind of really what it took to to make it happen at the scale that AWS operates. Uh, sure. Uh, as, uh, as you're calling out, I mean, Data Wrangler was um, one of the core uh, capabilities, uh, especially that came up as a top ask. Uh, when we saw customers were moving from, let's say, one model to 100 models to 1,000 models uh, and so forth. When there's usage of machine learning started to scale, this became more and more important um, because when you're doing one ML project within an organization, uh, having a separate data prep team and so forth work. But if you have like 1,000 ML projects, you want each team to be self-sufficient and get going instead of having to do a separate data pre-processing team for transformation and then heading up to data science team. So now with Data Wrangler, that's why we built it as an integrated experience in SageMaker Studio, but um, making the process of collecting and preparing data so you don't have to write custom queries to query from S3 or uh, others, uh, all the way to uh, connecting to Redshift and in future many more sources. But then uh, even for transformation to do simple things like converting into just the floating points or uh, various other text labels into numbers and whatnot, we actually had like 300 plus transformers uh, that you can write with a single click. Finally, also visual inspection of uh, these data because... um, even internally, when we use these things, it's not just about the ETL part. You want to visualize the data, diagnose issues in them, and see, hey, are there any visual inconsistencies and so forth? Because uh, it's an experimentation stage. That's when you want to see if the shape of the distribution is correct and whatnot. And uh, then uh, have an easy way 
for it. So we address all these four steps in a single end-to-end system uh, mm-hmm. using Data Wrangler. The feedback has been really great so far. And I think the this coupled with, I mean, this is great for structured data and ground truth is really good for uh, the unstructured when you're trying to annotate. So we are kind of addressing both in parallel so that then you can quickly move to the build side to wire the algorithms and uh, start going. So mm-hmm. now people have a single uh, pane of glass uh, for the end-to-end ML development workflow. So mm-hmm. that was the idea behind it. And uh, some examples of the kinds of transformations that you can do with Data Wrangler are things like you can one-hot encode a categorical variable or you can do missing value imputation, things like that. And then... All of that, you, it looks like you can export to Python. And the example that I saw, the Python wasn't even necessarily calling SageMaker libraries. It was just straight Python. Is that always the case or does it depend on what you're doing? Uh, it depends on what you're doing, but uh, we, you can export it as a pure script and uh, run it um, in the context of the SageMaker data wrangler instance. But you can also export it into a notebook script as well. Uh, I think we uh, provide both options. Um, but I think the goal is to make sure, again, in that example, the productionizing of uh, the data prep workflow used to be a pain point where people who used to prepare data, then they had to engage with a dev team to build the production quality of what they call this data prep. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they wanted that kind of disconnect between one team that does experimentation and one team that does productionization, and instead we wanted it to be simpler. So that's why we actually made it as a simple one-click export step as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the next big feature on my list on the, the data side is Feature Store. I'm actually going to not go into a lot of detail in this conversation because next up in this series in a future show in this reInvent series, we've got a conversation planned with the team at Intuit, uh, which was one of your customer partners in in developing this. And we're going to go into a bunch of details there. But maybe next we can talk a little bit about pipelines, which is another really interesting new feature. So pipelines has uh, several different components. You want to talk us through those? Yeah, sure. Uh, I will keep it at a high level because I think we have like some really interesting things, uh, even more to cover on things I look out for vision and whatnot. But the key thing I'll call out is, uh, I mean, uh, as uh, you know, and many of your readers will know, machine learning workflow tends to be not always uh, a serial workflow. It can be that some steps can be executed in sequence and some happen in parallel with various different combinations. And and there is no easy way to actually orchestrate these things, uh, let alone to actually also have a continuous integration and deployment uh, workflow. So this is where we wanted to make this process as seamless as possible. And we, again, uh, provided a uh, simple way, again, through a visual interface, not just through APIs, as you called it, uh, mm-hmm. but visual interface so that uh, you have an easy template to get started for things like model deployment and uh, also 
virtually anything you can do in the uh, SageMaker, now you can actually track uh, as part of your end-to-end uh, pipeline uh, as well. So that was the idea behind pipeline, essentially to uh, scale and bring the end-to-end CI/CD process as well. So again, this uh, becomes a lot more relevant when you're trying to scale your usage of machine learning. Uh, like what I uh, mentioned that uh, you're going to talk to Intuit. Their usage, if you're scaling from, let's say, one model to hundreds to thousands or tens of thousands, then you do want to operate at a scale where you treat it like software development and you want these kind of uh, CI/CD style pipeline. And that's exactly what uh, pipeline does as well. Mm-hmm. And that one thing I noticed was that that pipeline component is built on some other AWS products that I, I'm not quite as familiar with, code commit, code pipeline, code build. I'm assuming those are like the kind of the DevOps you know, core DevOps components from the, the app dev side. And it's, you know, reusing those to create the ML uh, yeah. version of the CIDC, CICD pipeline. Yeah, uh, I think uh, as in uh, true AWS spirit, uh, when we try, we try not to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there are uh-huh. certain obstructions that work well for the use case we try to do. We want to be able to reuse them. That's one of the reasons why we don't try to build yet another service if we can have some of the regular DevOps components that can be applied here, but with our, uh, where we need to connect the dots more from the machine learning side as well. So, and I think, uh, and we will continue to iterate as well based on feedback where there are more gaps needs to be filled as well. And then also tucked under pipelines is a model registry for folks that want to be able to have like stable model artifacts. I'm curious how you envision, you know, or some of the customer stories that do you have specific customer stories that drove you to to focus on model registry as part of that? Uh, I don't have uh, anything that I can recall, but I'll be happy to have the team come <laughs> back and share it to you. So, but uh, uh, again, this speaks to uh, probably some direct uh, uh, customer feedback we might be hearing as they are scaling for sure. So, so moving off of pipelines, the next one on my list was distributed training. And you went through the couple of different types of our flavors of, of distributed training in your keynote. Walk us through the, the highlights there. I mean, uh, as we actually started to, I mean, uh, I mean, as uh, for context, uh, in AWS, we provide a lot, a huge, uh, broad and deep uh, set of compute storage and network infrastructure for uh, expert practitioners to be able to train ML models. And uh, the latest in that instance is P4D instances, right? They mm-hmm. feature the NVIDIA A100 GPUs with uh, 400 gigabit per second uh, networking stack. And they offer like supercomputer class performance with these to ultra clusters. But one of the areas where we did uh, continue to hear is, uh, especially as uh, in specific instances of deep learning models in computer vision or NLP models, uh, they were hitting the limits on being able to deploy this uh, train models as fast as they would like to or uh, 
uh, either because uh, such as Mascar CNN, which is a computer vision model used for a lot of use cases, including autonomous driving and whatnot by our customers. They have a huge, uh, they process a lot of data to build these models. And uh, there, our customers wanted an easy way, uh, or rather easier way to actually scale with huge amount of data inputs to be trained. Of course, uh, for us, it's a well-understood problem. Uh, doesn't mean it's uh, well-solved, uh, but uh, it's around uh, to, power, to do data parallelism, where you actually spread the data across uh, multiple GPUs and train them and so forth. Um, and uh, on their T5 with like 3 billion parameters, that's a lot of uh, big model size, which could be even bigger than the biggest GPUs. And that required a lot of developers to having to rewrite uh, even uh, how they program these models to split them across to do model parallelism. And uh, looking for a more managed way to make these processes easy. And that led us to build these managed distributed training with uh, built-in data parallelism and model parallelism. And Feedback uh, so far from customers have been great. Uh, even the data parallelism makes training up to 40% faster for some use cases. And the time to do model parallelism has drastically decreased. What it used to take a bunch of handcrafted code, now it can be done in an automated fashion as well. So again, a uh, lot uh, of great feedback so far. Uh, and But uh, this just speaks to another our approach uh, in this point, uh, in the sense that we want to continue to iterate based on customer feedback on this. Uh, and uh, that is why this led us to continue to optimize here. And I still think as uh, customers scale more and more, we are going to find more and more next in set of bottlenecks here that we want to go uh, and uh, fix as well, uh, both at the infrastructure, but also at the frameworks and algorithms level too. Yeah, the the distributed training is one that I found particularly interesting, and I'll refer folks to the blog post about that. Um, we'll drop the link in the show notes, but there's a really nice explanation around kind of the evolution of distributed training from things like Harva that had these centralized parameter servers for exchanging gradients, and then efforts to kind of scale that out by distributing the parameter server and the distributed training here is based on this algorithm called AllReduce that uh, essentially shards the parameter servers and has those running on the CPUs that are local to the GPUs that are doing the compute. And those CPUs like pull together all the messages and make it all work. And the end result, I don't have the specific numbers, but you alluded to the percentages, but on the examples given were that the Mascar CNN and the one of the big transformer T5, like 3 billion parameter transformer model, pretty impressive training time savings. And yeah. ultimately, the, from a developer's perspective, they're swapping in a line of code or, or something along those yeah. lines, right? Exactly. With a few lines of change of code in Python for TensorFlow or uh, PyTorch, they're able to leverage this. And uh, it's kind of like what uh, AWS has done for traditional IT. We want to do the same to make them move faster. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And then on your list, you had the debugger. The debugger was introduced last year. And I remember the focus of the debugger being 
I remember it as being explainability and like SHAP, uh, Shapley yeah. values and that kind of thing. The focus on explainability and transparency and bias has now moved to clarify. And the debugger is shifting a bit and focusing on lower level profiling of training jobs and exposing the various infrastructure metrics uh, up. Am I getting that right? Yeah, uh, specifically, we uh, here launched uh, deep profiling for debugger uh, to focus on uh, giving more visibility into resource utilization. Because uh, as you called out, uh, even uh, in the training phase, the CPUs and GPUs uh, and network and I, they all uh, need to play together and they need to be able to drive to maximum uh, resource utilization for our customers to be able to train faster, but while doing it cheaper. And uh, this is where there was not an easy way to run a training job and uh, figure out something like, hey, uh, I am actually spending a lot more time on the data processing at the CPU side while the GPU is sitting idling and so forth. Well, you could do it by putting together framework-specific tools for each and everything you're using and cobbling much of them together. It's not as easy as intuitive as uh, it could be. So. That's why we provided the deep profiling capability that integrates with the training parts. Uh, it's kind of like uh, having the equivalent of software profiler that goes into the entire application side. We are trying to do the same for the training side as well. And then we are making the process of being able to give visibility into how the various features uh, and uh, what kind of impact it has on the the end-to-end machine learning workflow on data distribution and any bias and uh, how to explain which features into clarify as well. Awesome. Uh, And then you briefly touched on the edge manager. AWS has been doing stuff with IoT uh, for a while on the cloud side, Greengrass and other offerings and even dabbling with AI on the edge and things like deep lens, but this is kind of getting serious and, and taking a different approach. Can you uh, dig into yeah. that one a little bit? Yeah, uh, I mean, edge is uh, one of the important areas where I do see machine learning going because uh, people do want to make a bunch of decisions at the edge. Uh, but historically, Building ML models for the edge has been challenging because the hardware, server, memory, compute, all these constraints are very different. And not only do you have to hire these amazing machine learning scientists, you have to hire also great hardware and systems engineers who can actually connect the dots between these two. And to address this, we started on this journey in 2018 to build Neo, uh, CHMaker Neo, which is also available in the open source uh, to build the models and train them in the cloud and deploy one of those models in the edge. But to scale truly your edge deployment, you have to still do things like you got to manage your models on fleet of edge devices. And then you've got to be able to deploy multiple models in the edge. Nobody just deploys one. They are, they end up to run an application at the edge. They are to manage multiple models in the and then also identify uh, if there are any performance issues in the edge and uh, accuracy issues, and then monitor for them and notify so that you can take action accordingly. So these challenges led us to significantly improve our offering and build edge managers so that uh, you will have a fleet-wide edge uh, 
uh, manage your model deployments across fleet of edge devices. And then we run model monitor at the edge to also detect if there are any issues and accuracy and others uh, that we want to be able to monitor and notify so that you can uh, look at it and then kickstart a training job or whatnot. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, and this and, is a hardware plus software offering. Is that correct? Uh, no, the edge manager is completely pure uh, software uh, okay. that you can deploy. Uh, and the core ingredient of what we did two years ago, Neo, is already powering a bunch of things like your Alexa devices and so forth. Um, but this one is more scaled out uh, version. Okay. And then you might be talking about the next uh, version on the AI services where we launch a bunch of capabilities all the way to things like look out for vision where we provide a vision capability to do things like industrial for industrial customers to do like product quality inspection and then our right. edge, uh, device capability with panorama and so forth and i think that is what i was referring to there was separate from SageMaker, there was a handful of interesting kind of ai for industrial use cases announcements that were made this time around yeah yeah uh, I think I'll uh, say that uh, we launched like uh, five industrial uh, machine learning services, primarily focused on uh, two major buckets. One is around uh, preventive maintenance. Um, uh, and then the, um, that bucket, we launched an end-to-end system uh, called Monitron, which consists of sensors and gateway to send the sensor data, and then uh, with the back end of a machine learning service to detect if something is wrong, uh, and then notify uh, factory floor technicians saying like, hey, this machine, uh, the RPM uh, vibration seems to be abnormal or temperature seems to be abnormal. You might want to get it checked. Uh, it, uh, we deployed it in uh, cases uh, like our own fulfillment center, and it has led us to avoid costly downtimes. Uh, um, then we also provide a capability for lookout for equipment for uh, customers who have their own sensors, um, but they don't have the uh, time or skill to deal with uh, building an ML service to do anomaly detection and uh, correlating all these things specific to equipment. So we provide it as an API. It's the previous one is an end-to-end working system with the mobile app and so forth along with the device. The other bucket is uh, how do you make computer vision deployments easy to for industrial customers? And there the number one was uh, look out for vision. So when you talk to computer vision scientists, they talk about things like few-shot learning and uh, to do some amazing things. And we have come a long way in computer vision, um, and, but look out for vision, it makes it super easy I, as a customer, uh, can upload uh, 30 images to detect uh, a particular thing is uh, the right quality or defective. I'll give an example of Dovkats. It's a customer, it's a frozen pizza manufacturer in Sweden who produces two pizzas a second. And they wanted to be able to ensure that the pizzas have uh, the right amount of cheese and the right toppings. <laughs> and uh, and you cannot not have enough cheese, right? So, and, uh, and uh, if you think about it, uh, it is a very uh, complex computer vision problem. And uh, I think that Lookout for Vision, they were able to do this really simple. And there is a fascinating story on how we built the few-shot learning algorithm. If we 
at the time. Maybe I'll spend a couple of minutes to go do that. Uh, but, uh, but let me uh, complete the other end. Uh, now, look out for vision. It is getting used not just by pizza manufacturer, but like healthcare device manufacturers to do like GE Healthcare to do things like inspecting healthcare device production quality and so forth. On the other uh, part of the computer vision is to make the deployment and management of these computer vision applications at the edge. So we launched Panorama Appliance so that uh, uh, you can hook in your existing camera streams in the industry and be able to start running uh, computer vision models based on the models you built on the cloud using SageMaker and deploy as well. So, yeah, I think we are come a long way as an industry to make it easy. But uh, but, uh, I think our industrial customers have really responded uh, well. They actually feel this is really breaking the barriers and making these more accessible for them. So, and this did require a lot of solving some really hard problems that I was hinting about. Yeah, please. The comment I was going to make was uh, more kind of observational around the you know level of readiness and maturity around around for for ML and AI in industrials uh, and any thoughts you had on that. Those you know as a category, you know we often think of industrials as as laggards, but of course we all know that there are many companies that are far out ahead. You know, oil and gas, for example, has been doing ML for a long time in, in different, you know, areas. And, you know, there's robotics and, and things like that. And yeah. I'm just, I'm curious if you have any kind of meta commentary around your working with that industry. I think uh, when we talk to industrial customers, uh, one thing uh, that we notice is uh, they are very, very excited in adopting new technology that improves their quality, uh, the products that they are producing, and helps with uh, automation uh, and also helps prevent downtime. So to them, to a large extent, machine learning is a means to an end, um, end in itself. So that's why... Instead of just providing them, hey, here is a few short learning API, we had to go build out for vision. Instead of saying, hey, here is an anomaly detection API for time stream data, we had to go build our lookout for equipment, which is very specific to sensors and so forth. I think they wanted us to connect the dots more. Instead of saying, like, go hire a team to go procure sensor hardware, procure IoT gateway and so forth. So... Because uh, they have a huge number of other problems they need to go solve on their day jobs. And that's exactly what uh, is one of the tenets in my organization is to solve the business problems end-to-end uh, instead of just uh, solving it only 70 to 80% of the way. And um, th- it does require a lot of uh, different invention uh, altogether. As I mentioned, even in the lookout for vision, while there is a lot of research that gets published around few-shot learning and uh, so forth, how do you think about um, like collecting data for industrial? Uh, so uh, I think my team had a really uh, great idea, think big idea around, um, they ended up creating a mock factory with uh, conveyor belts and various oh. products, different kinds of cameras. Uh, and oh, wow. uh, then we collected data and then... Uh, 
And as you very well know, there it's unlike traditional software, machine learning projects tend to be a lot more experimentation oriented. You collect data, then build algorithm and see if it works. And then a trade on the data saying, I need different camera angles. And it is a lot more uh, experimentation. This was an incredible uh, thing they have heard. And our customers have really responded well. That's why the gamut of application that it was able to do, uh, right from frozen pizzas to being able to produce, uh, also help on the healthcare uh, devices side, uh, shows that it really is incumbent on uh, us to go help solve the real business problem by connecting the dots more to our customers. And that's what we try to do here. So yeah, a lot of details on some of the ideas uh, behind, let's say, Clarify or uh, on Health Lake, where we talk about how do you build a uh, healthcare data lake uh, where we actually enable in the future, hopefully things like precision medicine or personalized medicine using AIML, or uh, you look out for vision. We have some of them uh, written blogs about it in Amazon.science. I encourage uh, checking them out too. So I know we ran out of time or we went over. So, <laughs> Yeah, we did. Uh, if you have time for one more, uh, I would ask you to speak briefly to Tranium. So AWS previously announced Inferentia, which is an inference chip in hardware. And, and this time around, Trainium was announced to address training. Any quick things you could say there? I mean, uh, the thing is, uh, with uh, Inferentia, since we launched, uh, our, we have gotten great feedback uh, with Inferentia that uh, it has uh, saved, uh, for instance, significant amount of Cost for our customers, like our own uh, Alexa devices, when they moved to Inferentia, their models uh, ran like 25% faster for text-to-speech workloads. And then customers like Snap, uh, Containers, and uh, many others are uh, switched over to Inferentia. Containers saved, I think, up to 70%. So when we saw all this happening on Inference, which in our experience, we found it to be the 90% of the cost for production ML applications. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in reality, the other part is uh, during the experimentation stage, because the cost of training was so uh, high, so we ended up, uh, people ended up self-throttling and not uh, training as often as they would like. And that led us to uh, invest in uh, Trainium, where our goal is to create the best uh, price performance uh, ML chip in the cloud. And uh, we wanted to uh, have uh, first-class support for TensorFlow, MXNet, and PyTorch. And we will use the same neuron SDK as what uh, Inferentia uses. So customers who use Inferentia, they can quickly get started with uh, Trainium as well. And uh, we, uh, this is a space where, uh, given uh, how much innovation is happening, uh, that's why we're investing heavily as well. Anyway, it's again... Uh, Thanks for the opportunity again, Sam. I know. Absolutely. Uh, I know you've got to, to scoot, but as always, it's wonderful to have a chance to connect with you. And I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Okay, thanks again. Appreciate and we uh, see you in person next year. Agreement. Okay. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. 
To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.